Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We are building a community of people who want to understand how to positively apply behavioral science to their work and life. We achieve this by having fun and engaging conversations with a wide variety of people. Today, we have a very special episode for several reasons, but one of those reasons is that we have two guests, Jeannie Winkter and Afra Ahmed. Jeannie is the chair of the Industrial and Organizational Psychology and General Psychology at Capella University, my alma mater. There you go. Her research interests center on occupational health psychology, specifically manifestations of stressors and strains in alternative work arrangements, Mm -hmm. and she has been published in a number of leading journals. She currently serves on several PSYOP committees, including the Women's Inclusion Network, or WIN, and in addition to that, she's a contributing member to the Memphis Moms blog. Sounds like a classic underachiever to me. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I wish I was that underachieving. Oh, no kidding. Afra is currently an assistant professor of management at Zayed University in Dubai, but she will become the director of the Master's in Professional Studies in Applied Industrial and Organizational Psychology at George Mason University in the summer of 2019. Her research focuses on diversity and inclusion. She's been published in the Harvard Business Review, as well as in several peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters. Another classic underachiever. I know, what do we do? (laughs) If only we could underachieve as much as they do. Afra and Jeannie are the co-chairs of the upcoming panel on what having it all looks like for female IO psychologists at the SIAP convention that is happening in Washington, D.C. this April. We wanted to talk to them about that panel session, how it was developed, and what can be expected from it. Yeah, we found the entire conversation interesting, but it was after we ended the formal conversation that we learned more about the unique and interactive structure for their PSYOP session. And we found out that that isn't common in many of these conventions and various different sessions. Dreadfully lacking. Yeah. So we included that part of our conversation with Jeannie Nafra in the grooving session where we also tackled the concept of work-life harmony. Harmony. But we also talked about allies. Way. All right. We are building behavioral groups to be a community of people who are interested in positively applying behavioral science to their lives and to work. We think that we provide a special insight with our guests, but don't take our word for it. No. No. Here is a listener review by Albino Mantis, who says, I just discovered this podcast a week ago, and I can't stop listening to it. These guys and the guests that they bring on are incredible. Despite the fact that they seemingly know everything there is to know about behavioral science, they still show surprise and wonder when talking with guests about what they do. Easily the best behavioral science podcast for people who have moved beyond the basics. I'm having such a major aw shucks moment over that. (laughs) I'm just amazed because that uh, awe and wonder, uh, that's real. It's real. (laughs) That is like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. (laughs) We're, We're not making that up. Nope. We would be grateful if you can help us expand our community by recommending this or another Behavioral Grooves episode to a friend or leave a review on your favorite pod service like just like Albino Montes did. Also, if you're interested in connecting with Tim or me, we can be reached on Twitter or LinkedIn. Our handles will be shown in the show notes, and we'd love to start a conversation with you about what we talk about in this episode or any other behavioral science thing. You could talk to Tim about music. I dig that. There you go. (laughs) So please sit back and be in harmony as you listen to our conversation with Jeannie Winkter and Afra Ahmed. Jeannie Winkter and Afra Ahmed, welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it, is our, it is our pleasure. We're going to get started with a speedy speed round. So uh, this is a toss-up for both of you. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Neither. <laughs> Neither. I know. Ooh, I'm okay. <laughs> Okay. I mean that they're practical Are, without coffee, tea, just water. Impossible. <laughs> I, you are a one in a million person right there. That's what I I'm say. told. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another toss up for both of you. Michelangelo or Monet? Monet. I was going to say Monet too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we, have a little, we have a little bit of uh, alignment around there. All right. Now we're going to dig in a little bit personal here. So. Afra, a question for you. Uh, better to disclose your parental status at work or hide it? 
Is it a personal question or based on research evidence? <laughs> <laughs> based on your research. Hmm. Well, so I, I actually do some work and research on um, identity management. And we talk about, you know, if it's better to sort of reveal stigmatized identities or conceal it. And based on the research that and data that we've collected across a number of studies, including some of my own, where we've looked at um, how employees from different religious backgrounds, being Christian, Muslim, or Jewish, when especially when it's not as observable, if it was sort of better to reveal or conceal it. And across multiple different types of um, study methodologies, we consistently find that for intrapersonal benefits within the person, you know, it's better to be more open and reveal and as well as interpersonal benefits as well um, when we talk about relationship formation and those sort of things. So if I were to answer based on research, um, the research evidence would say it's better interpersonally and intrapersonally to reveal some concealable identities and parts of that. Oh, fantastic. I love that answer. So (laughs) not not a speed round, usual question answer, (laughs) answer, but that was fantastic. And so we had done some background and looking at some of the research you did. So we thought it would be kind of fun. All right. So Jeannie, your turn. All right. Um, Should we focus on work-life balance or work-life harmony? (laughs) Oh, that is a good one. Um, I love the concept of harmony. Uh, because I, I know even in putting together the session, we were talking about it's not really a balance. It's more of a, a juggling act on a unicycle while blindfolded type of situation. So <laughs> wow. I think the harmony is a better goal um, than perhaps trying to balance everything um, and have everything be just in this perfect alignment. Well, fantastic. So thank you, guys. Those were fantastic answers. And we're uh, now, now we'll get into the the real kind of component of this. So so both of you will be co-chairing a panel at the upcoming SIAP convention on what having it all looks like for female IO psychologists. First, um, before we get into what that's going to be about, can you tell our listeners what SIAP is and what the SIAP convention is? Sure. So um, <laughs> SIAP is the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Um, so we are the you know professional membership organization for those that are practitioners or academics in IO psychology. Um, you know we are its own sort of a governing body. We represent like technically the Division 14 of American Psychological Association, and um, you know we're an organizational affiliate of Association for Psychological Science. But we have a conference every year, and um, the upcoming conference is our annual time where. IO psychologists from around the world, around the country, both practitioners and academics come together um, to share ideas, to attend presentations, workshops, and all of those sort of things. Fantastic. Thank you, Afra. And then what was the genesis of this panel that you guys are going to be doing? I don't know. Jeannie, do you want to talk about that? Sure. There was actually an article um, in The New Yorker, and the basic gist of it was talking about having it all. And it was a really humorous piece on kind of what's what's behind the smoke and mirrors of having it all. And, and so I posted it in our Women's Inclusion Network group, which we have um, as a part of PSYOP. It's an ad hoc committee at the moment. And we kind of just tossed it out there and said, wouldn't this be really cool to do like this at PSYOP and it's kind of a a little bit outside of the normal what we we usually see there but we thought it would be really interesting and it would probably hit on a lot of the things that um, many of us uh, can relate to and so that was kind of the birth of this idea and then we had folks that said yeah I'd like to be a part of that and it just kind of um, grew from there. So tell us a little bit about the makeup of the panel. We were very intentional about the makeup of the panel, and I'm absolutely thrilled with the participants in our panel. Um, So we have a lot of different dimensions to having it all. So we have the the motherhood issues and things of that nature, but there's also things um, that, you know, we have elder care, we have different challenges as far as changing careers, we have different career stages. and, And so it was really wonderful to have such a nice mix. And we also have an ally. So 
that was really important to us to have not just a panel of women talking about our experiences, which is, of course, extremely important, but also to have an ally who can provide that different perspective. And also, um, hopefully, our session will have allies in the audience who can benefit from the information that we discuss as well and also contribute to our discussion. And just to, and just to piggyback off what she's saying, um, I think that it's unique because we have both academics and practitioners on the panel mm -hmm. and bringing that perspective because we're always trying to bridge that gap and make sure that both voices are heard. And then, as she said, you know, women in different stages in their career, some earlier on, some mid-stage, some you know, more towards the end, and then women with different set of family issues. So for me, it was just so unique to see, you know, as they transition into motherhood, when they chose to do that, um, you know, breastfeeding, and then also, you know, transitioning to different stages in life. So divorces, being a single parent, um, being a step parent, and um, making choices for not only their family in marital ways, but even with their children, some deciding to do homeschooling and those sort of things. So I just thought that it was so diverse. Our panelists are so diverse in their professional experiences as well as their personal experiences. Yeah, I found it particularly interesting that you guys were uh, so intentional about making sure that you had the ally, the, the, mm -hmm. to have a, a man on the panel to, to provide that that voice or that perspective. Um, I, I, thought, I just thought that that was really interesting. Uh, Kurt, I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. You had a question? No, I thought that was, it was great. I, I really like the, the different perspectives that you're bringing in on that too. So that's a, that's a really interesting thing. So did any of your research or maybe some other research by others inform uh, this panel or inform what you're going to be discussing in this panel? And, and if so, can you, can you share that with uh, the listeners? Jimmy, do you want to start or do you want to pick up? I, I can let you go ahead if you want. Okay. Um, I would say that, you know, especially studying topics related to diversity and inclusion, I don't even know where to begin, but all of the research that we're constantly um, working towards, even as IO psychologists, you know, definitely informed this session. So, um, you know, it's for the last several years, we see, you know, not only research talking about, you know, motherhood, but even, you know, going into the areas of breastfeeding and how workplaces need to be more accommodating to those sort of needs. You know, we see a lot of emerging new research in this area and domain that definitely informed this session. Um, so I would say it's a combination of what we've been studying and doing research on um, within even the own lab that I was in, the diversity inclusion lab. So I had a colleague of mine who did her dissertation looking at, you know, uh, she actually did a field study where she applied to actual jobs, submitting an actual resumes of both male and female and, and some of them having the parental status there and, um, you know, saying they're part of a parent association and seeing things like callback and also coding for things like the organizational policies um, related to uh, work flexibility, family, and a number of different dimensions. Um, and, you know, that's a, still, that's a work in process and getting published. But, you know, we see a lot of interest in trying to figure out what is going on out there. And, you know, we know that there are differences in the way that, you know, women with children, without children, fathers and mothers are getting treated. And, and um, you know, within the whole HR cycle. So for her, it was looking at it within a selection context. And um, so, you know, just as you talked about earlier, you know, disclosing parental status and what does the research say? And, you know, trying to figure that out, you know, what is what about if you leave it on your CV and resume? Um, and then is there certain things that you need to do to sort of, if there are stereotypes or biases about mothers or parents, are there strategies or things that women can do to overcome them? And that's another area of research that I've been involved in, looking at things like individuation strategy or um, where you can counter the stereotype against your sort of um, group that exists and to overcome those challenges that may play a role. And so you see her doing manipulating her the CVs that are being submitted in different ways to like, you know, comp, you know, you see the what is the strategy being like, okay, if it's flexibility that they're concerned about and those sort of things. So um, you see a lot of research being done in that. And I mean, there's a ton that's you know been published as well. There was a field study where pregnant applicants went in, applied for retail job positions. And one thing that was brought up was, you know, they had a strategy again, if they, if they 
clearly looked pregnant because they were wearing a pregnancy prosthesis. But they said, by the way, if I got hired, you know, I would have care available, um, you know, soon after. So I'd become able to come after, back to work. The idea that if there are some thoughts that a hiring employer may be having, if doing some individuation strategy to overcome them is helpful, they, they wanted to see if that was uh, going to play a role, and it did. So there were significant differences. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that this session came from, you know, all the informed by the literature and the, what's going on in the field of biopsychology, as well as our personal experiences. Well, well I, and Afra, I want to just follow up on that. Some of your personal experiences involving, you know, uh, international travel with a young child. Twice, <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice. Uh, pretty significant uh, changes. So uh, on a personal basis, certainly those personal ex in, uh, experiences are influencing you. How did you deal with those? What was your strategy for managing those situations where you're traveling for professional purposes and and yet you're, uh, well, you're and bringing a, you know, a young child with you? And, and, and you're getting a PhD and you're, yeah, you know, yeah. a family and all of these things that just seem overwhelming to to me because I'm sitting here going, my my PhD, I, I didn't have to worry about international travel. I, I you know, all of those other factors. So help us understand how that informed um, your thinking on this. Um, I would say that, you know. I look back and sometimes I look back and even when I read my own story or tell my own story, I'm like, yeah, that was insane. How did I do it? I was younger and had more energy. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but no, in reality, I think that I was, you know, I was very driven towards this goal of, you know, being able to attain a PhD, be in academia and give back to society and academia. And, you know, I had this end goal that I wanted to reach and, you know, they say there's a saying that it takes a village to raise a child, but I would say it takes a village to also birth an academic. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that village consisted of, first and foremost, a very supportive partners, my husband, um, who had been very supportive through it all. I would not have been able to do it without him picking up, you know, and going above and beyond his share of support in the household, um, the support of my family. So oftentimes my parents have flown in for conferences to help with childcare, flown into UAE to help with the young child. I mean, they have been there to make this dream really come a reality. And then the support of my mentor who has um, mentored me both professionally and personally on all of these stages throughout my life. So um, Dr. Eden King, my mentor, who is the incoming PSYOP president as well. Hey. Yes. Yeah, so she, um, she has definitely, I've known her since undergrad. I did my undergraduate honors thesis with her at George Mason University, but she has mentored me from the undergrad stages all the way as, as I went on a Fulbright and came back for my master's and PhD. And that mentorship was vital. And I don't, and I don't think I would have been able to do it all without these different support networks in place. And then I had amazing colleagues and collaborators that helped throughout the journey. So it was definitely Chukka Village and I'm here because of that village. <laughs> and and all without coffee or tea. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. My colleagues I'm, thought they would get me hooked in grad school. They thought it was the strangest <laughs> thing. They're like, we will get you on the coffee, but I survived. And again, a one in a million person here. That's what I have to say. Jeannie, I know you have your own backstory too and bringing in some of, of your personal experiences into this situation. You want to share a little bit of that? Well, sure. I have a little bit of a different, um, unconventional journey. Uh, I finished grad school and I moved to Memphis for a job, uh, a corporate job. And so, you know, all my plans were to, you know, start a family, keep working, everything was going to be just fine. And then when I had my, my first child, all of a sudden, everything just you know, you, you hear the record back scratch and that was pretty much life. And <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, all my plans are wrong. I want to be a mom full time. And, um, but I love IO and I was a little bit torn. And so um, my employer allowed me to start working, you know, a little bit in the office, a little bit at home. Uh, and I transitioned to full-time remote work. And then I started to transition to online education. And at that time, my kids were starting kind of school. And so we started homeschooling, which I never thought I would do ever. <laughs> um, so here I am being home, you know, working remotely, homeschooling my children. And uh, it's been wonderful, but completely unexpected and, and definitely not in the plan. 
and and do you have a community kind of like Afra was talking about with you know that support and and obviously the other people in the in your life that make this happen and and how does that impact this Absolutely. I think, like she said, it takes a village and I am very thankful to have a husband that's incredibly supportive as well and helps with the kids very often. And so I think that's important, but also just, we have a a wonderful homeschooling community here. Um, Also have a wonderfully supportive just work environment. It's just incredible. I know Capella has a a strong emphasis on work-life balance. And so I think that definitely is helpful in, in making sure everything works as it should. Yeah. I know when when I was getting my PhD at Capella, it was really the, the support system that was there uh, was amazing. We had a uh, our little little peer group that I had formed and there's four four people and we we were there for each other. And when you ran into issues, you know, they were the ones that that you reached out to first. And so it was wonderful from that perspective. So um, with that. Uh, going back to your panel discussion and how to have it all as a as a female in IO psychology, what do you see as some of the biggest trade-offs that women have to do? Uh or, or what are the biggest challenges that you see in in this arena? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because in preparation for our session, we actually put out a survey and we put it out on Twitter um, and Facebook to get some feedback on some of the challenges because we wanted to make sure we weren't being narrow and limiting our discussion uh, to just our personal experiences because we recognize that there's a lot more out there that women are facing that maybe we don't even know about. And we got some incredible data back and we're using that for an activity within our session. So we're pretty excited about that. But the the information that we got back was so diverse um, from trade-offs with um, career and family to trade-offs with you know education timing to domains of employment. So thinking about academic versus practitioner versus um, remote work versus office work, and and also you know just trade-offs with with things like kind of that work-life balance, taking time off, or um, folks that may have had different experiences even within the workplace as far as relationships at work um, and relating to other coworkers and and things like that. So there was just such a diversity in the issues that we got back. And that's just scratching the surface. Um, I know Afra's looked through it as well. And and there's just so much that we got back that was helpful. Do either of you see any trends? Were there, were there uh, a lot of commonalities? Did you feel like there were a couple of categories that were, boy, they, you know, these are, these are really common and these are things that we should address. Yes. So I think that um, one thing that was brought up was women, especially in academia, feeling like that tenure clock or promotion clock um, played a role in their family planning and um, whether it was from the time that they were actually being selected or hired to actually being promoted for tenure. So for example, one of the um, pers- you know individuals who responded said, I wonder if I get put into a different pile because I'm a 30 something year old female and they're gonna assume that I'm gonna get pregnant eventually, need some time off and so forth. So you can see that you know it's playing a role in what what they're thinking about in terms of the selection process for young academic women graduating with a PhD. Because in reality, the timing for a PhD, if you even consider the traditional timing of, you know, by the time they're getting done, you know, it's at the, I guess, the height of, you know, maybe family bearing age that, or a lot of people are choosing to, or thinking about, okay, we want to, you know, have a child around this time. So not only people thinking about it in terms of selection, but also how it's affecting the tenure clock, if they um, counter to their academic male peers will ask for additional time because of that time they took off with a child or giving birth. And then others talking about planning it so that they do it in graduate school because that might be easier than being on the tenure track and doing it. So um, those are some commonalities in terms of the you know t- academic perspective in terms of being hired and tenure track. Um, you saw some comments about childcare related issues and opportunities. So I would say another category would really be opportunities. So the commonality coming into opportunities because they have children. So not being able to necessarily go to a conference because conferences, unfortunately, still today, they're not, they're trying to be better. So for example, SIOP does have a designated breastfeeding area. 
Um, but providing childcare on site is challenging and that's up to the individual. So like I said, I fly in if my husband's unable to come because of work. I fly in my parents to come and be there and help out. Um, it's kind of hard looking at random nurseries or daycares in the area for a few days. So it's just hard to figure that out. And um, and with that cost comes additional costs, especially if you're a graduate student, you're not making that much money. So the cost of childcare. So they talk about that loss of opportunity to be at a place like a conference where not only are you having this knowledge dissemination, but you're having networking opportunities and so much opportunity for growth professionally. So um, those were some of the commonality of themes that I would say you know, were highlighted. Wow. Yeah. And you look at that component of the financial impact that that has, but also just the amount of stress that goes into trying to figure all of that out and the upfront planning to either bring in somebody to help or to find that alternative childcare. Uh, and those are things that oftentimes I think uh, as a as a male, I, you know, we don't necessarily always consider. And uh, it's, I think that's a, a really enlightening component as we're talking through this. And, and that goes back to, you talked about bringing in this ally onto the panel. And then you both also talked about how supportive your, your own husbands have been in this. What, what kind of uh, advice would you give for, for us men in the world um, to, to, you know, either understand better or to help um, in this situation? Are there, are there certain things that you found or that you would suggest that we can do better or at least make note of and understand your situation? Jeannie, do you want me to start? Yeah, you can jump right in. <laughs> I, I get the feeling this is going to be a long list. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that there's a huge role that allies play in the workplace. And I want to highlight that it's not only the male allies, but it can also be the female allies. And, um, you know, oftentimes, sometimes you also heard comments and threads about, well, I have, you know, a female supervisor who may not be a mother, but she doesn't understand these sort of issues that are going in place. So I want to highlight the role of allies in general, both male or female, um, coming from different perspectives, whether parental status or not parental status. So, for example, some of the comments in that survey was, why am I assumed that I can be the one to teach the evening classes just because I don't have children? I still have, you know, needs outside of the uh. workplace. So that's why um, I'd like to highlight that these allies could be coming from all these different sort of walks and backgrounds. And I think that um, any place that we can sort of come together and highlight or right, family balance or work family balance, right, in general, or work life balance, um, and we can highlight places that we can support people for professional and personal growth is important and um, making sure that that's placed more formally within policies that can accommodate everyone. So may it be flexible time or flexible work, remote work and things like that, or if it's um, and even just interpersonally. So one example that comes to mind was when I was trying to obtain, you know, university funding for a conference, it was a colleague or the person make a decision maker kind of being like, well, do you need to stay at the conference hotel? Because it is a bit more expensive, right? And I thought to myself, do you know that every break, coffee break that I'm getting or, you know, the sessions start around 8 a.m. and I'm doing networking things till 10 p.m. And every break that I'm getting in between, I'm running back to nurse my child to sleep because she won't sleep with a bottle and she won't sleep with a pacifier. It's only me. Um, but trying to go back and try to feed her something because she has a severe dairy allergy and I'm really scared about the hotel food. I mean, my answer, I wanted to spit up a lot, but I helped myself <laughs> back and being like, I do absolutely have to stay at the conference hotel. I mean, I can't be taking a taxi or Uber 15, 20 minutes away um, when I, I literally am between sessions, between breaks, going to, you know, back to meet the needs of my child and my family. And so that was um, an interpersonal area that I was just like, where in the policy does it say that I can't stay at the conference hotel or just because it's more expensive? Or, But again, that interpersonal support, I think it left me, um, it, it just took an emotional toll on me, right? So again, that ally support of really recognizing, I mean, I understand maybe some allies may not understand these needs or certain allies may not understand these needs, but being as supportive to those with, you know, different needs as possible whether, like I said, through formal policies or interpersonal interactions is very important. Yeah, thank you. 
Jeannie, anything to add to that? I totally agree. Uh, and in fact, her story resonates so much with me because I actually missed several PSYOPs um, because I had the same experience with breastfeeding, but we hadn't set up the mother room, mothering room yet. And we, we didn't have those resources yet. So I just didn't go because I didn't know want to tote my baby around with me to all the sessions. Um, so I totally, totally resonates with me what she's saying. Which by the way, I will say at PSYOP the last few years, I have seen some women bringing their children to sessions and sitting near the back. And in case their child um, starts crying, they'll leave the room. But I have been so inspired by that. And um, I have seen that trend change. And I, like I said, I have now seen more signs. I heard the breastfeeding room was available for several years. But I mean, it's been on the front page of the program now where the nursing room and meditation room is. So that's been made aware. And then the Women Inclusion Network, um, they had their first formal meeting two years ago, but last year at their evening reception, um, they invited family members. So like I said, these sessions, I can be away all day and it feels like a long day for the kids, but I was able to bring my kids to the evening reception. And it was kind of like, you know, they, they had a little, some toys and coloring and food. So my parents grabbed food and my kids were like, oh, free. my 10-year-old was happy with free food and my two-year-old had some toys to play with. But um, that was just really nice because... I was able to catch up with folks and, you know, talk to them and bring the family along. So I really appreciate it. I see that shift um, and change in it. And I'm really appreciative of it. Do you think it's easier to have it all today than it was, say, five years ago, 10 years ago? <laughs> I think options are different, which makes it really wonderful. Um, you know, when I first got out of grad school, I never thought I would be working remotely full time. I never thought I would, you know, be homeschooling my kids. So I think the options and the awareness of options maybe is, is a lot better. Um, but I think it still all boils down to what your priorities are and, and mm. what's number one and number two and, and the, the village that you have helping you. All right. Well, Jeannie, I want to go back to the one of the first things we talked about here. And so in your bio, you state that you are a believer in transparency and a bit of humor can empower women to embrace each of their roles and achieve harmony between these seemingly competing domains. So I, I just want to go back to that harmony component. And you had talked about, you know, the difference between harmony and work-life balance. Can you just help us understand again, what what's that difference? And then um, I was opening this up for Tim because harmony is a musical term. And so then <laughs> I, I figured he would hop on after that. Um, if you could do that, that'd be great. Sure. You know, I think we, we focus so much on having this kind of balance where uh, work is in this box and family is in this box and the boundary is quite rigid. And, you know, we turn off one domain and go into the other domain and we give it our full attention. And I think sometimes the concept of harmony particularly resonated with me because I think Sometimes it's a seamless back and forth uh, a lot of times in the day. And I think that that is helpful for many women just because we don't always get to shut something off. Um, back to Afro's example, it, it was, you know, she had to go to the conference and, and step out, you know, yeah, <laughs> and then come right back. And I think for so many women, that's our life. It's quite fluid instead of compartmentalized. And for me personally, that's quite an effective strategy. But I, I recognize that may not work for everyone. So I think it's a really personal decision. But you find that harmony in kind of how you do that back and forth and what works for you. And so when, when I focus on the concept of harmony, that's what I'm focused on. Well, I am glad that, that, that Kurt teed that up because uh, it for uh, a harmony, you know, from a musical sense means having two notes or more than two notes at the same time. It's really not, it's not having one note and then another note later. Um, you're, you're talking about, you know, this seamless integration or attempting to have a seamless integration uh, of two different worlds at the, at the same time. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing. And that's, uh, and of course, harmony is what, what we find one of the richest things in, in music uh, is, is the experience of it. Um, Kurt, did you, did you? No, uh, I thought I was teeing you up to make your yeah, musical question. I, I, I never do that for you. And I was trying to be an ally instead of a curmudgeon, which I usually am. You know, I, I just, just, I just have to tell you guys, 
Kurt likes to play this role like he's this curmudgeon and he grimaces every time we talk about music. He loves it. He absolutely <laughs> adores it. You can't see you can't see his face, but he but he loves it. Um, I do. I you know what? Uh, on the musical note, no pun intended. I wanted to ask you guys: Has this this uh, idea of having it all um, has it changed your your experience with music? Because you are operating seamlessly in multiple worlds, right? We we often you know get influenced by the world that we're in. In college, we listen to different music. In high school, we listen to different music. Um, with children, you know, we'll listen to different music. But is is having it all? Is there a is there a playlist that that differentiates the having it all um, woman from from those who are not? My playlist right now, I'll just um, be honest, it's got a lot of Baby Shark. Um, that's what I was going to say with my, that's my <laughs> playlist. I don't know that I'm <laughs> the best music guru <laughs> right now. We have had more people talk about Baby Shark <laughs> in the past, I don't know, three months now. Yes. Um, then, and I am just so thankful that my kids are were just past the age where I think Baby Shark came in. So I have a nine-year-old and a and a thirteen-year-old, and so you know, I had I, I didn't have to go through that. But um, so with that playlist, uh, do you find yourself? using music uh this is a question that tim often asks do you find yourself using music to help get you into a certain mood or to help you uh you know calm down after an, an evening or how do you use music as part of your work in helping you focus or to to help prime a, a mood or a, a, a kind of an attitude does that make sense yeah so i would say for myself I am somebody that works um, quietly at home or in the office, so I don't have music playing in the background necessarily because when I'm deep in thought, I need to hear myself. <laughs> and um, so I'll say while I work, I don't listen to music, but on the way to work or back from work, I do. And it is um, for that to sort of get me going and energized. And I remember, especially in grad school, I would try to listen to more things that were motivating or empowering and um, I don't know, just like get me, I'm trying to even remember enough, but it's like something that was just really helped me motivate me to just achieve that goal. So, um, and I remember that it just, it did help. And it, and like even listening to Ted talks and things, I like to listen to podcasts and things like that in the car or, you know, anything that just continues to inspire me and motivate me. So those are things that I do in the car that I feel like um, would just really help me be like, all right, I'm not the only one that's having these challenges or frustrations. Everyone goes through these hurdles. And the thing that differentiates you is really grit, right? We've been talking, I think, a lot in the research about grit. And I tell my students and I continue to tell them that I stand before you as someone who has failed, failed many things and many times, but... I'm here because of grit and I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the room. I don't think, you know, I'm the whatever, but you have to persevere and have grit. And if you want to achieve your goals and that's the common message I share with my children, with my students and with anyone I meet and I get inspired by music that sort of pushes me towards that. Jeannie, if you've got uh, a lot of baby shark around, but do you also have some personal playlists? I do. Um, uh, so, uh, my kids will tell you I'm a terrible singer, so I'm just gonna just gonna preface it with that. But I love uh, anything uh, loud and cheesy, and um, the 1980s uh, were a good good decade for music <laughs> for my playlist. Yeah, um, you can't see Kurt's me. Smiling. I'm dancing right now. I am I am doing my little 80s dance. There you go. <laughs> if you if you drove past me in my minivan, you would think I was maybe hurt or something because I'm quite. <laughs> minivan dancer and singer to the 80s hits. Um, so I love it. I love, but I love the, you know, the old stuff, the, the Bob Dylan. I love Elton John. Um, love that stuff. But being in, in Tennessee, you have to also like country music. So <laughs> you have to like that. You have to have an appreciation for that also. So my playlist is quite diverse. So like one of my favorite songs, and I even get my daughter into it, and I'm blasting it out, is Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire. And I'm all about like <laughs> girl empowerment, and like I have these songs like blasting. And um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Uh, 
this was really insightful, and I, I wish I was at Psyop at the meeting. I want to, I want to be in the audience. I want to, I want to be part of this. It sounds fantastic. So, um, I, I wish you guys the best of luck, and uh, thank you for being on. Uh, we just really appreciate it. Thank you so Thanks much for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral groups interview, have a free flowing discussion on some of those topics and whatever else comes into our harmonic brains. Harmony. Love it. Harmony. It was, it was a really interesting component of, of balance versus harmony. Yeah. Yeah. An important, I thought an important distinction uh, because we've had so many years of, of playing the work-life balance story and it never really made sense to me. Well, I, I read, did a conference back in probably 10 years ago now uh, that I put on with another gentleman called Winter Camp. We go out in the winter. And one of the main premises of that was that work-life balance is this, you know, crazy idea and that you have to integrate everything. We didn't call it harmony, but we talked about integration. And I thought, what harmony is such a great metaphor. Uh, if you think about that metaphor for a balance and you get these weights and, you know, oh, work is taking too much and I have to put more life and different right, things. Right, right. They're, they're two opposing factions, really. And But harmony, as you've talked about, from a musical perspective, yeah, it's different. What, what is harmony? It's when you have a, a more than one, you have a, two or more voices or notes or tones happening at the same time. And they can be you know, concordant or discordant, right? They can sound good or they can not sound good. But harmony is when you have two or more things happening basically at the same time, it literally at the same time. That's how you have harmony. And so it's saying, uh, so the metaphor as applied to work is so perfect because it's like saying, I've got a, I've got a life, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, uh, PhDs who are moms, it's like, I'm a mom all the time. I'm right. not going to stop being a mom. Yeah, when I go when I go and I'm working on my PhD, I am no longer a mom. It yeah. does not make sense. <laughs> it doesn't right? make sense. No. Yeah. It was perfect uh, to to introduce this idea that I, I'm going to continue being a mom all the time. However, at the, at the same time, there are going to be moments when I'm also going to have these uh, harmonic tones of working on the PhD, of going to conferences, of travel, and all the complications that go along with it. And, and I, you know, I, just from a musical perspective, you know, harmony is just so interesting. Well, if you think about this from an evolutionary perspective, we did not evolve to have work be separate from life. We, we evolved right. that it was just life. Yeah. This was yeah. our life. And you, mean you there did work, and there... you did family, and you did, you know, fun, you did it all, and it's all wrapped up, and you didn't segregate, oh, I have, you know, from eight to, to four, I'm, hunting. I'm work guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, Let's go hunting from eight to four, yes. and then when we're done, we can we can Now I'll be different, now I'll be family guy. <laughs> yeah. That's not how it works. So harmony, I think, from that perspective is a really nice thing. And I know there's been, I think like Jeff Bezos has talked about this. Yeah. And then there's, I know you, you, there's some other research on that, right? Yeah. You know, Stuart Friedman from Wharton wrote a book where in 2014, where he really introduced the idea in a kind of a big way. It's leading the life you want. And he, it, he, uh, made an academic claim, basically around the importance of harmony versus balance. And so I think that that, it, you know, in those years, it was picking up steam. It was already part of the popular nomenclature, but he really kind of laid an academic claim to it. Yeah, um, Friedman, Friedman's work did. Well, I, I think it's it's really cool. Now, I think there, you know, harmony is a great component. And I loved Afra's story when she talked about, you know, bringing the conference that was now saying it's okay to have your family at the dinner, which so often they don't, and all yeah. of those factors that go into that. And I think it's really key to think about how do you weave in the work and life and community and all of the other factors that are part of what makes up our life, and how do you weave them together? And you know, can organizations do more to help with that? Do we as individuals need to do more in order to make that part of our life? Is it just a framing 
positioning of how we look at this, or are there actual tangible things? What do you think? I mean, well, I'm I'm blinded by my own life, right? So, uh, as a consultant, I'm working in and out throughout all seven days of the week. I I tend not to think about uh, a particular day off as a day away from work. I tend to it it everything just tends to meld together a little more seamlessly uh, today than it certainly did 10 years ago. Okay. I was much more interested in, in the segregation of, of those things and, and trying to, to make sure that work was work, and then when I was done with work, then I was done with work. And I think that there are still good psychological reasons to have that. To you, I think there's parts where you need a break, right? You well, yeah, need that yeah. mental shift from work mode into family mode. But I think there's also times where those can overlap. I think there's some talk, um, you know, we we did a conversation with uh, Francesca Gino and she talks about creativity. And there's this element of creativity that comes from having, you know, not necessarily focusing in on that issue, but now you're stepping away from it into something else and you get the light bulb effect. And those various different things. You have to let the subconscious do its work. You have to let the subconscious do its work. You have to be able to recharge. You have to do all of those things. And I think there there could potentially be some downside to that, right? There could be this always on component uh, with with this. I and I felt like I resisted it more ten years ago, especially in the corporate world. I was more reluctant than that I am today. Right. Um, you've been away from the corporate world for some time. You well, you you've you've run a, a consultancy for twenty years. Yeah, and it's interesting because I I sometimes. I think there was an envy for a while that um, That because I office out of the house. That you were envious? I was envious um, from the perspective of that, you know, my office is just down the stairs from my bedroom and (laughs) up, you know, it's on the second floor and we're right there. And so work was always present. It was always part of, so it could be 10 o'clock at night and, Oh, I can just go on in here and work for fifteen minutes and be there for two hours and various different say, things. So, the, so work for fifteen minutes was a myth. Yeah, well, not sometimes, like, most of the time, okay. right? You know, yeah. Um, like but just I, the first Dorito out of the bag. It's <laughs> the first Dorito. the The component, though, that I've come to realize is that I have to be conscious and purposeful about it. Uh, and, and what's nice about it, uh, though, about the work, about the work and the work that we do, what's nice is that I'm not beholden to a eight to five job. I'm not, you know, beholden to, um, having to do eight hours a day. Just like you said, it's, you know, this, it might run seven days a week, um, but it also might be four hours one day, 10 hours another day, just depending upon where it is and what's going on with my family life. What's going on with the volunteer work that I do? What's going on with behavioral grooves and, and what we're doing here? So all of those factors come into play and just the idea of having that in harmony. In other words, you know, work is part of life, and so we need to make it sing, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, yes, we need to make it sing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which happens so, it, it's much more pleasing when the notes are are are, are concordant versus discordant. Right. Right. And, Be- I, and I like that, actually, aspect of, of this metaphor, because... You can still have a work-life harmony, but sometimes things are going to be in discord, right? They're going to sound bad. They're going to feel That's right. it's like, hey, it's, you know what? I don't like getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get on a plane and miss my kid's basketball game because I have to go and visit a client. Or at 4 o'clock? Like. Your, your kids are playing basketball at 4 o'clock in the morning? I, you know, <laughs> I, have, I have very dedicated kids. No. <laughs> But uh, you know those there are those discord yeah. times. But then I also enjoy that those those harmonic moments where I'm able to bring kids along into some sort of uh, work function or a behavioral grooves type thing, and we get to intermix that and have those conversations and bring you know clients around and they're working and talking with my kids and they know everybody and so it happens. And so I think if we start thinking about that, so as a uh, step out of this or a, a tactic, um, I'm going to start 
using that term. I'm going to start using harmony, yeah. work-life harmony. And, and I think and it really is a, just a, a switch in how we frame that within our brains, and I think that'll be good. Yeah, harmonizing different aspects of your life is such a cool, cool idea. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay, so we went off on harmony because... Like I was just so wow, dying to groove on that. And it <laughs> fits with music, and you well, somehow like that. Uh, yeah, totally. Okay, so what what struck you? What uh, in, in the, this was a wonderful conversation. It was a wonderful kind of conversation. So uh, they talk about this a little bit, but uh, in the interview. But we actually had further conversation afterwards uh, with Jeannie and Afra about the structure of how the panel. Uh, is is set up, and actually, I don't even know if we should if it should be called a panel. I mean, yes, there's a panel of people up there, but the way that they have designed this session, this workshop, is one that is very integrative and involves the participants in being active participants. And that takes me back to you know the work that I did twenty plus years ago which was all around a thing called ICD, Integrated Conference Design, where we worked with companies about making their conference design, those meetings, those big meetings, more engaging and interactive and participant-focused as opposed to speakers up in front with PowerPoint presentations pushing things out. How do you get people to engage in this? And that's, um, A, it was surprising to a certain degree for me because I thought, conferences and others have gone have have moved more in that that uh direction but i realize they haven't they haven't and i'm very excited that they're they're doing this and actually um i don't know what do you think well how, how about if we just listen to the way um afro and genie describe it that sounds great let's listen i got i get really excited about the session format such that we start off with an interactive activity and then we move towards the panelists, briefly introducing themselves and sharing a little bit about their story and what strategies worked for them. And we're emphasizing both tangible strategies as well as, I guess, mindset strategies so that the audience members can have something to take away and be inspired by and something they can incorporate in their own lives. And then we have a breakout session where we'll have the eight of us or you know the two co-chairs and six panelists breaking out in the room with flip charts and we want we have 30 minutes where we want audience members to share their story share ideas of what's worked for them and sort of come up with a list and then afterwards we'll reconvene as a larger group and share some of those and Jeannie and I are really excited to follow this up with a tip article um, in the PSYOP you know reading and we want to think about moving this conversation forward and submitting something else for PSYOP next year. And um, we, yeah, we want to make sure that people leave knowing that we're not just going to talk about it in this room and it's going to just stay in this room. It's going to be something that's going to hopefully carry over to an outlet that we can share with readers and continuing conversation. So um, I'm really excited about that format. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that Opera and I were really excited about too was, you know, we're not talking at the audience, we're not talking to the audience, we're talking with them. So it's going to be a really, really interactive session, um, more so than you normally see. So that's pretty exciting. Sometimes these conferences and sessions, there's a lot of the formal things that I've been going to for years, right? And, um, yeah. you know, I, I know what the typical research symposium and posters and all of that sort of looks like. And I think that's why these alternative sessions and a place for that, I want to make sure that PSYOP and other people who host conferences know that um, how much it needs to have a place or a, allowing this flexibility, right, of format and topics to have, allows people to feel like they have a voice. And again, with the survey we sent out, people are so stoked and excited because you clearly see they want to talk about these things. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think that if someone may be listening is perhaps an organizer of another conference is like, wait a minute, we don't have something as flexible in place that allows for that. It would be great because they could get some ideas or if PSYOP's like, oh my God, we're low on rooms and times. We want to make sure PSYOP doesn't cut off these alternative sessions, you know? So I yeah. think it would be something great to make sure that um, gets heard, that it's appreciated, it's valued, and it has a both personal and professional um, place because a lot of times for myself, even I always wanted to have a place where we can talk about these things, have examples of people living these things, not just reading about the research, but having living examples 
of people in the field that are maneuvering these sort of challenges. And I think one of the things too that's very unique and different about the session that we're kind of going out on a limb is that this is something we don't always talk a lot about in IO psychology. Like you, I mean, when I was in grad school, I saw so many incredible women who were successful and I just thought they were amazing. Um, but as I, you know, got married and started a family and started working, it, it was, um, you know, you have these trade-offs and those weren't necessarily evident. People didn't really talk about those very openly. And so that vulnerability piece, um, perhaps they spoke with their very close colleagues, but it wasn't as evident to some of us up and coming people in the field of IO. So I didn't really have a path to follow. And so it made it quite overwhelming when I was confronted with you know, starting a family and then all of a sudden having that thought, oh my goodness, I want a mom all the time. Wait, how do I do that? Um, and so I think one thing we hope to get from this session is provide a lot of different perspectives on what that could look like and some of the realistic trade-offs and challenges. And, and we're hoping to kind of help navigate those waters. So I love that part. And what really struck me with what they were saying is that, we can do this. Yeah. We can make these types of decisions about how you structure or format your, your speaking sessions at a conference. And, and conferences can be more engaging and they can be instead of just the, you know, big stage pushing information out, how do you bring that back in? And wouldn't it be great if more and more we were able to have those experiential, interactive, engaging sessions as opposed to sitting in a chair and watching a PowerPoint well, presentation yeah. go and by. I, I just have to say that you, the passion in their voices was so clear that Jeannie and Afra were inspiring me to think so far beyond the the standard PowerPoint, right? <laughs> how, like, how tired are we of the standard I PowerPoint? I need to go and just fly out to DC to, to go sit in on this, this session because <laughs> I, I think it'd be great. So, um, but Definitely. with that, I, I think that was um, really interesting. And it I think terrific, it was one of those yeah. components where even to the point where if you have a, just a, an everyday meeting, right? How do you, how do you make sure that it's, it's not um, somebody up there pontificating and that uh, you're you, you engaging can say boring you can say boring yeah 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 boring <laughs> right well but not even boring so much as this component of you have to get information across mm -hmm. we we that's what meetings are often about right mm -hmm. they're they're about they are. either conveying information or they're about you know or making gathering, decisions making decisions or gathering input from a variety of people and again, maybe this is a, a harmony kind of thing, right? Maybe there should be some harmony in combining those three aspects into one inside of a meeting. Yeah. So yes, you do have to, you might have to convey some information, but yeah. let's get, let's get some feedback on that and, and, uh, you know, different points of view around that and, understand how that goes and bring if there's decisions to be made around that so and at the same time bring your whole self to work be able to be all that you can be right to 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 fully represent who you are uh in those in those discussions right um i think that that's that's an important which interestingly enough ties into our discussion with liz fosseline yeah uh, you know which is uh, really nice that emotional component at work and the emotional side that you you can't disgorge yourself no, of. No, so, you can't. all right, what else, Tim? What did you find interesting? Oh, the, the, the second big bueno for me was allies. Allies. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, and and in, in doing a little digging on this, uh, it was really interesting that there's a, actually a lot of academic research in the world of uh, understanding the importance of allies, and um, and it was even actually brought up by uh, uh, Bentley College, Bentley University, which is um, gosh, they're out in um, Waltham, Mass, I think. Okay. And uh, but they have a women in business forum, and just last year they published a basically a small book, uh, a pamphlet on all the intricacies of this. So it's it's a hot topic. It's an important topic. And bringing men into the discussion as allies uh, is, is not just uh, trendy, but it was a big aha for me. I had this personal... <laughs> 
thing like, wow, I had, you know, as, as much as I've, I've actually had uh, team members in the past who got pregnant, they gave birth, they've got a uh, newborn, and they would uh, express milk uh, at, at work. They didn't have, uh, at, at the corporation that I worked at, they did not have access to uh, a nursing room. No. So they would just go into a conference room and, you know, put paper over the windows and block it off and lock the door and you know, 30 minutes later, they'd come out. And it was uncomfortable for them. Yeah. You know, they, they were open about that because it was just a, a, a conference room and they were always a little worried about who might come in. But thinking about having, having a room for nursing at a conference, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Look, you know, and, and men need to be advocates for that part of the story. Well, I think people need to be advocates. And I thought that was the real interesting piece that well, Afra brought up as enough. well. It's, it's, yes, men are important in this ally because we don't live that that life, right? But, um, you know, people who are maybe older need to be allies for those in the younger generation. You know, people who are single need to be allies for those who aren't and vice versa. So it, it's about being in battle, uh, right? I mean, ally, that's the, the, the term is it's your partner in battle. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's going to battle side by side with these people and helping them win the wars that they're facing. And yeah. so I thought that was really, it might be, maybe that's too militaristic. I don't know, but it, well, it's an it, interesting, it's, it's a good metaphor though. It's an interesting component because I think what, what struck me on that whole conversation is we don't know all of the struggles that people are going through. And we always make the assumption that their life is like our life. Not always. We often make the, the, well, it's the judgment. So, that, it's so easy. Yeah. And, and to, to think through and to go, wow, their lives actually are different. They have struggles beyond what I am accustomed to and to be a aware of those and just be cognizant of them and make sure that you're not dismissing that. Oh, that's a silly kind of thing. And no, this is a real concern. And then secondly, looking for ways either in policy, in interpersonal relationships or in just how you're structuring components of a conference to help alleviate some of those, I think is a very important aspect and one that I thought was just fantastic. Jeannie even, I think Jeannie made the point that those struggles might not even be apparent. Right. Might not be visible. Yeah. Uh, right, that they are invisible to us in our in our interactions. Well, and and, and I go back um, to all of the studies, and and again, my my bobo mind won't remember the exact ones. Your kiki mind might. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. On, on, on this, I but still so object to being a, called a kiki mind. You are a kiki <laughs> mind. It's our. It, it's it's a good thing. You should embrace it and run with it. Um, but the the component where they've done research where. Uh, they ask men and women how much of the of the housework do you oh, do? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and when they they come back, it, the the percentages are always above a hundred percent, which obviously can't be uh, because we always look at our own. Wor- oh, well, I did the dishes on Tuesday, so I've done a lot of dishes. And you're going, yeah, but you didn't do them Wednesday, Thursday, and now it's Friday. <laughs> and I know Monday we ate out, so you didn't do them then. <laughs> And Sunday, I did them. So you did one out of six here, or whatever it is. Well, Monday doesn't even count because we went out. So, oh, yeah. so <laughs> you know. well, there you go. But we, we tend to over-amplify our own work and contributions. And then I think that also parlays into, you know, we, we over-amplify our own struggles. We over-amplify our component, you know, it's the com- component. Of our success is due to our hard work. Your success is due to luck Just and circumstances. Just damn good luck. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's some there's some really cool things on on that ally and just being aware of our own biases and being aware of how we need to approach those situations. So yeah. That's all right. Really cool. So. Can I ask you a musical question? Sure, sure. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm now I'm a little hesitant actually now, for now saying yes hesitant. so easily. So, yes. so harmony. When you think of harmony in your own music, the the music that you do, 
because uh, I know you've done you've done duos and you've done others. Do you tend to do more harmonizing, or do you tend to do like solo parts, you know, or background music that's different? Um, I, I, you know, help help. You know, what do you what do you tend to do more of? So uh, I did a Neil Young tribute show last night. Okay. okay. So uh, is that a you know a nice listening room here in Minneapolis, the Astor Cafe, and did a Neil Young tribute show and. Um, as we were rehearsing to get ready for this show, it was just a duo. It's just a, my bass player uh, and and myself, and we were very intentional about when are we. And Paul's a great harmonist. He really understands harmony, and he's got a great voice. Unlike me, <laughs> not a comparison. Not a comparison. <laughs> I'm just I'm making a statement of fact. <laughs> but we were really intentional about when when should he come in and do and harmonize because it automatically adds emphasis, right? Now, oh. g- going from one voice to two voices adds emphasis. It can it can increase the dramatic experience, right? It can be a happy harmony or an odd harmony, or it can just be soothing. There's a whole variety of ways that, that we could use it. But we were really intentional because a lot of the songs that we were playing didn't necessarily have all those harmonies written in. Yeah, Neil Young does. Not a lot. Not a, not, I mean, my no, personal. No, I mean, a handful of, yeah. of songs have really rich harmony. Heart of Gold was recorded with, I mean, he had James Taylor and Linda Ronstadt singing backup, but only on one line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it, it's not exactly this big harmonic experience. But that, that was, um, it's really fun to, to be intentional about when to use harmony to add emphasis, whether it's with some kind of emotional thing, soothing, happy. You Do you know, ever angular. use discordant harmony on purpose? Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, why would I you did. use that? Because um, it, it fit the song. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote this song called Beneath the Surface of the Well that was this big uh, introspective psychological thriller kind of a song um maybe not maybe i'm being hyperbolic there but uh but in this you know in the song there needed to there is this tension uh in the narrative and so we used some harmonies that are discordant to draw attention to that to kind of give that emotional edge that's appealing to the part of our system that's not even aware of of you know of of all these things right it's it's actually i think to some degree, music is appealing to our subconscious. Oh yeah. So, so just emphasizing both on a conscious and a subconscious level. Well, good. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I think we can wrap it up. And as we always end, keep on grooving. Was that harmony? Did we do that in harmony? No, no that was that was actually in unison. But do you want to do it in harmony? I I, I don't know how to do it in you, harmony. You just keep doing it, and I'll I'll do the harmony. <laughs> <You'll> okay. <harmonize. laughs> yes. All right. Keep on grooving. I couldn't tell the difference. (laughs) 